Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Those are verses 9 to 12 of Psalm 143, which along with Psalm 141 is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, November the 25th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look for just two more days at uh, the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, verses 1 to 11, then over in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 19, verses 28 to 40, and then in Romans 15, verses 7 to 13. So we're ready to, to, we're still looking, remember, at end times prophecy in Zechariah. Everything that we're looking at right now points to end times, and there's a reason for that. That's when the coming of Jesus will be. And so as we move towards Advent, (laughs) then we're looking for that second coming. And we, we do so in order that we might then, during Advent, begin to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ and to celebrate the coming that has already been with great joy and to look forward to his coming again with great anticipation. But we prepare ourselves by determining and discerning our own lives whether we're truly prepared for him to come again and making the changes necessary to prepare ourselves. So in Zechariah 14, uh, we've got, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. The spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. So enemies have come and they have taken spoil, and it's being divided in the midst of these people. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. This doesn't sound like the day of the Lord, right? I mean, what he's saying is it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to look like the end. People are going to lose hope because horrible things happen, because Satan's having his day. And, and God's saying, he's having his day. And, and you're going to lose hope. You're going to lose faith because you're going to say there's no purpose in following him. It's all gone. It's horrible. He says, half the city will go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. And if you read Revelation, you see this very same thing. You see the the prophets that God sends down, and they prophesy for three and a half years, and they have power over the heavens. They can can bring um, forth rain or stop the heavens and, and stop having rain. And these same prophets can also turn rivers into blood. So it's obviously Moses and Elijah. And they're going to have three and a half years, and then they're going to be killed. And then everybody will rejoice. And it'll look like evil has had its day, and evil is the ultimate winner. And and people will lose heart, and they'll be devastated. They will lose faith, because it looks like evil has won. I know people who feel like that now, but this is worse. This is worse. And, and, And then, he says, the Lord will go out and fight against those nations when he fights on a day of battle, which is exactly what you see at Armageddon in the plain of Megiddo. 
On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem. We're going to visit there in the gospel today. Before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half southward. So the valley is going to come and split it sort of across the middle on horizontal plane, and then the Mount of Olives is going to be divided horizontally by <coughs> this river, and then oh, the valley, I'm sorry, and then so it will move north and south, so <coughs> vertically. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to us all. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. The holy ones, that word is angels. So these are his angels are going to come with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be a unique day. One day is really the best way to translate it, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at the evening time there shall be light. In other words... It's just going to be a day. There's not going to be a night. And that's exactly what we see in the book of the Revelation. And Zechariah says, On that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, that's the Dead Sea, and half of them to the western sea, that's the Mediterranean, and it shall continue in summer as in winter. It's never going to dry up. Ezekiel sees the same thing in his vision in, in Ezekiel 47 when he sees water flowing out from the temple down to the Arabah, down to the Dead Sea, bringing life wherever it goes. So it makes the Dead Sea alive. And then it goes all the way out to the Mediterranean. The, the, the way the Jews perceive this is, is that as it goes, all the salt water will be made fresh and all the things that live in the salt water will be transformed into things that live in fresh water. And so there will be water, a plenty for everyone. It's all potable. It's all able to be drunk. And so that's the vision that Zechariah sees, the same vision of living waters flowing out from the temple into all the world, bringing life everywhere it goes. It's also the same vision of Revelation 21, where the river of life goes and brings life everywhere that it goes. So it's one vision, it's the same vision from Ezekiel to Zechariah to Revelation. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day the Lord will be one and his name one. There will be no other name for God. We won't call him Baal, we won't call him Asherah, we won't call him any of those things. We will know him by his own name and only by that name. There will be no other gods. And we will refer to him by no other name other than Yahweh. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Remen, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses, and it shall be inhabited. For there shall be never again a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And that's exactly what we see in the book of the Revelation. The new Jerusalem coming down as a city of lights, inhabited by the peoples of all the earth. This enormous, heavenly, eternal city will be high and lifted up. And there all will come. Zechariah sees the same thing that, that all the prophets who had any kind of vision 
of the end time saw, and that is the exaltation of Jerusalem as the city of God, the eternal city of God, raised up above all else. It's a beautiful vision. Everything, all life, will flow from that place into all the world. Everything will receive its sustenance from the temple of God, but what we're told in Revelation is there is no temple there. There's no need for one because God is able to dwell in the midst of his people because there will be no more sin, no more sighing, no more dying, no more pain. It's a wonderful thing. We should pray for that every day. We should have that vision in our mind every single day when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should have the beatific vision of the full establishment of the kingdom of God and all the earth in mind when we pray that. In the gospel lesson today, Jesus, remember, had just told this parable of judgment, parable of the end times, and the parable of rejection of him as ruler, because remember what's happened is he's gone out to get kingdoms, and, and, and while he's gone, people send a petition to the king saying, no, 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 we don't want this man to rule over us. So he, he said, you know, there's going to be a delay. There's going to be a time. I'm going to be gone. I'm giving you everything you need, and I'm giving you of my own to invest in the kingdom of God while I'm gone. But when I come back, there will be a reckoning. And there will be a judgment for those who have rejected me. They themselves will be utterly rejected and eternally rejected. And here, so after that, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Remember, he'd come out of Jericho. He stopped to tell that story, that parable, because he knew the people were waiting and they believed that the kingdom of God was about to be established and he wanted them to know it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be tomorrow. There's going to be other stuff that happens between now and then and some of this is going to be really bad. It's going to be bad for me. It's going to be bad for you. So now he moves on, and then he gets to Beth, near to Bethpage in Bethany, so he's just, just outside the city, at the mount that's called Olivet, the mount that Zechariah told us God would come and stand on, and it would separate horizontally. There would be a separation between the halves of the Mount of Olives, and, and as that separation occurred horizontally, then, then the mount would move north and south. There's new land being made as a separation between those two parts of the Mount of Olives. So he, that's where he is. And when he gets there, he sends two disciples on ahead. Go into the village in front of you where on entering you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Nobody's ever ridden this thing. It's a young one. And untie it and bring it here. And if anybody asks you, why are you untying it? You'll say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Are you stealing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. So we have to assume that whoever this person is who owned this colt knew who they were referring to. He must have recognized these disciples, had some um, understanding of this group. They've been to the city several times by this point. They've been there together. So, and Jesus was such a well-known person at this time, even in Jerusalem, that, that this person would have probably recognized the disciples, oh, the Lord has need of it, oh, okay. And so they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, sort of as a saddle-ish kind of a thing to cushion, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they, the people who were there, spread their cloaks on the road. As he was, and they're greeting a king. 
That's, what's, that's what that image is. When they spread their cloaks on the road, it's like laying a red carpet ahead of a king. <clears throat> as he was on the way, as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, so not just the 12, all these people, this multitude, Luke says, of disciples. We know that at times there have been 5,000 men we don't know how many people that would represent when he fed them. So we don't know how many people there are, but these are the people who are coming from outside Jerusalem. These are the pilgrims who are coming up for the Passover feast as part of their obligation in Judaism. <clears throat> the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, remember, he just told that parable about the coming of the kingdom and the delay in the coming of the kingdom and the horrible things that have to happen first. He had just told that parable because he wanted to dampen their belief that the coming of the kingdom was imminent. So he told that parable to prepare them that it's not, but it, it didn't work. <laughs> they believe with all their heart. They began to rejoice and praise God, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is angelic praise. It's similar to the praise given at the birth of Jesus. Also in Luke's gospel, it's the only place you see it. Peace and glory in the highest. There you go. It sounds very much like the praise of the angels at the birth of Jesus. And so they're proclaiming, there's a king, here he is. And not only is he a king on earth, he comes in the name of the Lord. And they're praising in the highest heavens God's will being done on earth, God's kingdom coming and being established. What's the reaction to that in Jerusalem? Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Stop them. Make them be quiet. Don't let them do this. The Romans are going to be angry. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. We need to be like those people. <laughs> we as Christians today need to be like those people. I'm telling you. If we know Jesus and we know the truth, then we need to be the ones who say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. He could raise up stones. And just exactly what John had said before and what Jesus had said before, you think you're sons of Abraham? God could raise up stones here to be sons of Abraham. And that's exactly what Jesus says here. He says, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Does he mean that literally? Maybe. Indeed. Because Paul tells us that the whole of creation groans in anticipation of the revelation of the sons of God. Creation has a voice. It's the music of the spheres. There is indeed music in those spheres. That's not just a metaphor. It's a beautiful idea that all creation waits and longs for the coming of the kingdom because creation has been subjected to futility because of our sin. The potential of the universe is diminished because of our sin, and that's exactly what the punishment was. 
that only by the sweat of your brow. And then the further punishment after Cain killed Abel is a curse on the productive capacity and potential of the earth. But it lies locked in there. We can't get that knowledge apart from him. We chose the knowledge of good and evil rather than that knowledge. And so I don't think he means it metaphorically. I think he does mean that the stones would cry out in blessing because of the the hope they have. I know that sounds strange when we're talking about inanimate things, but Paul uses that same kind of language. In the Romans passage, we're in Romans today in chapter 15, verses 7 to 13, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Well, that's a high standard, (laughs) and it's a standard we very rarely find on earth. I did get a glimpse of this when I served in Pauly's Island. Those people loved me so much, it was unbelievable, and it was the most blessed relationship I think I've ever had in my life with a group of people. I loved them. They loved me. And I understand what it means to be welcomed as Christ is welcomed, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, because I was welcomed with those same open arms. I was welcomed and received in the name of Christ because I came representing him. He says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's not just hospitality. It's hospitality for the glory of God, ultimately, because the world can see that and take note of it and see how those Christians love one another as they did in Antioch. He said, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. He submitted himself to his own people to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So the Gentiles were to see the blessedness of God's people. And they were to see that God fulfilled his purpose and his plans for his people, and then they rejected him. He says, as it's written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his peoples. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So he is the hope of all. And the purpose of Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation serving God. Peter says that's our purpose as the church on earth. We we are in those shoes. We haven't replaced Israel. That's not what I'm saying. He has an everlasting covenant with them. We've been brought into that covenant, and we have the same expectations placed on us that were placed on them. Paul says, I do some of the stuff that I do in order to make my own people jealous of what you have so they'll come into the kingdom. That was exactly what Israel was to do. They were supposed to display the blessedness of God by living under his kingly reign and obeying his commandments. And the promise was, if you do, then I will make you so prosperous and so blessed that everybody else on earth will be jealous. And they'll come into the kingdom too. And they'll come under that same covenant. And now that is what we, the church, are encouraged to do, is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation serving our God in order that others will see, and they will come. That's a big thing to live into. Nobody's ever done it well for a long time. It happens here and there in some places. But the church needs to be one. 
and we need to love one another and love him. We need to love one another for the glory of God. We need to do it in obedience to his commandments because we recognize that loving you is loving God because you're created in his image. We need to be transformed. We need to understand that. We need to bear with one another. We need to stop being strangers to one another. We need to love one another as family. And we need to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And then he finishes up by saying, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Could anybody want any more for us than that? And Jesus came to make all of it sure and secure for us. Rest this day and prepare yourselves for the coming of the Lord.